I hope you guys are ready for some fun bonus content. I've got some really cool stuff for you here today. Um, this week, I had a really neat opportunity to be the keynote speaker for the Parowan Utah Stakes Family History Discovery Day. Um, I was so honored that they asked me to do this, and luckily it was virtual, so that's why I could pop in and talk to them a little bit. Um, I recorded the presentation that I gave them, so you are welcome to view it. There's actually a link to it on YouTube if you go look in the description of this um, bonus content episode. There's also a Google Slides file where you can go into all the different links that I reference. But this is going to be the audio version of the presentation I gave. So when it says things like, if you'll refer back to this link, or if you click on this link, or if you follow along, that's because it's talking like I'm in the video. Like, that's why I'm talking like I'm in the video, because I am in the video. This is just the audio file ripped from that video. So go back and watch the video. It's good, too. But in case you're driving and you just want to listen along, I'm putting this out there. So hope you guys are having a great week. I will be back with a regularly scheduled episode this Sunday. Bye, y'all. Hi there. Welcome to your Family History Discovery Day. I'm Lexi Austin, and I'm here today to talk to you about putting the story in your family history. Now, as I go through this presentation, I'm using a slideshow that has lots of links. You can access the slideshow by using the URL at the bottom of the screen or using the QR code in the lower left-hand corner of the screen. I've also asked the organizers of your event to send this out to you as well. So follow along or go back and refer to it after the show. But either way, there's links all over the place. Anytime you see a phrase that's bolded and underlined it, just like this URL right here, you'll know that that is a spot that you can click on. It will take you to an internet web source. All right. So who am I and why am I here? Well, I'm Lexi Austin. I am the host of the podcast, The Savior Said. It's a Come Follow Me podcast. And each week I spend about 45 minutes or so talking about that week's Come Follow Me assignment. And somewhere someone must have been a fan of The Savior Said because they asked me to come talk to you guys today. So that's why I'm here. Um, I am a wife and mother, and I live in North Alabama, in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, so if you ever detect a little bit of a twang to my accent, um, that would be wise because I'm coming to you from Alabama. Also, when I am not podcasting or taking care of my family, I am a school librarian, and I've worked with kids in libraries for most of my life, and I absolutely love it. So the first question I had when they asked me to talk to you guys was, why me? Um, you're going to hear several experts today who are amazing at what they do, indexing and things like that, just incredibly talented. Um, I do not have those talents. I do not have that skill set. But what I do have is years of experience working with stories. You know, I talked about how I work in a school library currently, and I've worked with kids for years and years. A lot of the neurodevelopment that happens in children is really well paired with story. And so I started looking at how story affects our brain. Now, this became especially important when I started working on my family history. You see, for the longest time, my family history, when I worked on it, it felt kind of like a chore. Like it wasn't something that I really didn't, I really didn't want to do, right? And then I started looking at the stories behind my ancestors. And this was the first story that really captured my attention. This is Lumley Castle in England. And this is my 18th great-grandfather, Ralph Lumley, lived in this castle. 
Well, now his first wife, Lily, apparently is a ghost who haunts this castle even to this day. I'm actually actually related to him through his second wife, Eleanor, but Lily haunts his castle, Lumley Castle. I'm like, oh my goodness, I have a ghost in my family tree. Like, this is so cool. And that was the story that really hooked me on family history. Like, you mean if I go back in and research these people, I can find cool stuff about, about their lives like this? Like, this could be a really cool thing. And so that's really what got me hooked into family history. So I hope today as we go through and we talk about story and the power of story and how it fits into our family history puzzle, that you will see the fire and motivation in your own lives to continue discovering the story of your ancestors. Now, Tony Robbins in this quote talks about the power of story. Um, the power of a single story goes far beyond simply relaying facts and data. Stories emotionalize information. I love that phrase, that they emotionalize information. They take just the bare facts and then they make stories out of them. You know, my son the other day told me that he just disliked history class. He didn't like history at all. And it just about killed me. I was like, no, you have to love history. Why don't you love history? And he said, it's because I just have to learn places and dates. And it's just like memorizing stuff over and over again. I'm like, oh, no, history is all about the stories and the people and who was involved and why were they involved and what happened in their lives. And, you know, when you really delve into the human aspect of history, it becomes much more fascinating. And the same thing is true with our family history as well. So when we find the stories of our ancestors, going back to Tony Robbins quote, they give color and depth to otherwise bland material, and they allow people to connect with the message in a deeper, more meaningful way. If we want to have deeper, more meaningful relationships with our ancestors and our current family members, family history is one of the best ways to do that. So as I said, story just really fascinates me and how it impacts the brain and how it fits into family history. So right now, it's going to seem kind of like we're taking a side trail but I promise I'm going to bring it back to family history, okay? So this, these are some ways that storytelling affects our brains. So the first one is called neural coupling. And what that does is it takes an element of the story and it takes your current frame of reference and it puts them together. So to give you an example of this, one of the stories from my personal family history is I have a grandmother who she is from the Czech Republic, what's currently the Czech Republic, although it was Austria when she was growing up. Um, her name is Leopoldine Sedlacek. So we call her Grandma Leo. So Grandma Leo grew up in this area during World War II. And there was a point in time where she needed to escape across the German border to get to safety. And so she enlisted the help of a local priest who was able to cross the border due to his clerical duties. And she was able to get in the trunk of his car he locked her in, he drove across the border, and she was able to escape from the Nazi-controlled country. So going back and looking at the story, neural coupling, I'm placing it into my everyday life. So as I'm listening to Grandma Leo's story, what I'm hearing is her telling me about being locked in the trunk of a car. So I started thinking about an old-timey car to me, which in reality, when I look back retrospectively, is probably for like from the 1960s, whereas she was in a car from the 1940s, you know? So my everyday life, I was picking out a car from the 1960s. Like that's how my brain neurocoupled the story. 
like the cup link into my everyday life. Does that make sense? So you find things in your everyday life that you can connect with in the story. Mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are incredibly interesting. Um, it's probably one of my favorite facets of the story and brain um, partnership that I can think of. So mirror neurons means that when I'm hearing a story about an experience that I've experienced myself, all of a sudden my brain waves and my brain pattern and the brain activity that's going on in my mind starts to mirror the storytellers. So where this becomes really interesting is when you start thinking about, and this is not only orally, but also in written word as well, we start thinking about the scriptures. You know, Christ told a lot of stories. So as Christ is telling these stories, his listener's brain activity starts to sync up to his own. As we go in and we start reading our scriptures, our brain activity literally starts syncing up to the same brain activity that Christ had in his mortal body as he was telling these parables and these stories to his listeners. So when we have leaders who tell us that we can become more like Christ when we read our scriptures, literally our brains are becoming more like Christ. Like how cool is that? That is just one of my favorite scientific facts. So the other part of mirroring is that when my grandmother's telling me the story about her being in the trunk of this car and crossing the border, when she gets really emotional and tense about it, I start getting really emotional and tense. I start feeling the same emotions that she did, which this brings, again, my family history to life in ways that it wasn't before. Dopamine. So stories do really interesting things to our brain, our brain chemicals. Um, there's three main chemicals that get released when we're telling stories. Um, the first one is dopamine. And if you've ever heard about dopamine before, you know it's the addiction chemical. Um, it's a reward and pleasure chemical that when we do something that's good, we get like a little rush of like, yay, that was good, keep doing it, um, which is why it causes addiction. So when we start listening to stories, especially really good stories, our brain releases dopamine. Does this mean that stories can become addictive? Yes, yes, they can. And if you don't believe me, think about all the fandoms that follow Harry Potter, in Star Wars, The Avengers, Lord of the Rings, Doctor Who, all of those fans, are they addicted to those stories? And I say this as a huge Harry Potter fan. I definitely believe I'm addicted to Harry Potter. So we have kind of the same thing going on. Now, two other chemicals that get released when you're listening to a story. Oxytocin, which is the bonding chemical that you have specifically between mothers and their children, but also in other relationships as well. And then there's also cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Cortisol specifically helps us to remember things when we are under stressful situations. So Grandma Leo is telling me the story about her being in the trunk of a car, going across the border. My brain activity starts mirroring hers. We start having similar emotions. And then all of a sudden, my body starts releasing Cortisol, the stress chemical that Grandma Leo was feeling as she was going across the border, it starts releasing oxytocin. I become more bonded to my grandmother and also dopamine. This is a really cool experience, getting to listen to my grandmother tell me the story and making history come to life. All those chemicals are released in my brain as I'm listening to this story. Cortex activity, also really fascinating, and you've definitely experienced this. Whenever you hear a really good story, your heart starts to thump when it gets really scary. Or maybe you jump, maybe you feel really tense, or maybe you've had an experience of watching a story and you start crying. Our bodies have a really hard time when we're hearing a really good story that we're very engaged in, 
telling the difference between what is real and what's fiction. So I'm literally, as Grandma Leo is telling me the story about her being locked in the trunk and going across the border, feeling tense, I'm literally like balling up on myself thinking about how tight she must have been in that trunk of that car. And that makes the story so much realer to me. I'm literally locking the feelings of the stories of my ancestors into my body as I'm listening orally to their stories, listening to their oral stories told. So your story and family history. This is why story matters when we talk about family history. Stories turn our minds to our ancestors. That dopamine we talked about, that reward chemical, we start feeling that as we start doing our family history work and we start seeing those stories, we start getting those little dopamine rushes, we literally get the rewards from our brains as we are doing family history. And it not that family history is addictive, but it kind of is. If you've ever like really been in, into family history, like, you know, you get to those moments where you're like, yeah, this is awesome. I want to keep going. So it turns our minds to our ancestors. Storytelling also connects you to your ancestors emotionally. I told you that story about Grandma Leo. Grandma Leo, when I was growing up, lived in Texas. And so I only ever saw her every couple years during the summer. So I didn't really get to like emotionally connect with her that often. But through her stories of her growing up in that Austria and there in World War II and meeting my grandfather, he was an American soldier, you know, and everything that she went through, I built an emotional connection with her. It brings names and dates to life. So I sit down in my high school history class where we study world history. They start talking about World War II. They start talking about geographical boundaries. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I know someone who's lived through this. Like I get this, you know, it brought those names and dates to life for me. It passes blessings down to future family members. So whenever I have to go through something that I think is scary and I'm like, can I do this? I don't know if I can do this, if I have the strength to do this. I think about Grandma Leo in the trunk of that car. And I'm like, she was so brave to do that. And if she can do that, I can do that. She passed down a legacy of bravery to me as her granddaughter. And what a legacy that is. So stories create bonds between family members. So not only am I bonded now to Grandma Leo, but also to my mom. I'm even closer to her because I know she grew up with Grandma Leo. You know, it just helps bond us all together. That oxytocin that was released during that story helps bond us. Stories can motivate us to memorialize our ancestors in thought and action. All of a sudden, because of the stories, I'm able to remember my ancestors more. I'm able to think about them more often. A great way to memorialize our ancestors, of course, is by doing proxy work for them in the temples. And if you've never had the opportunity to do that, I would definitely invite you to go search out your own family names and then take them to the temple. The first time I did that, it was like I had never felt a spiritual high like that ever in my life. Um, finding that one ancestor and then going through and doing their work for them, it made my temple experience just a 100 times more spiritual and just amazing. The joy that I felt, absolute joy um, in doing that work was beyond anything I can even describe. It was amazing. And I definitely invite you to do that. All right. So we live in a society where the family is constantly under attack. The nuclear family, the structure of the family is under attack from all sides. And at a time when the structure and importance of the traditional family is increasingly questioned, we can create a sense of heritage and strength by learning about those who came before us. 
When we learn about our ancestors and the people who come before us, we know to whom we belong. We know where we belong. All of a sudden, you're part of a bigger family. I'm going to give you an example of this. So my parents are both converts to the church. So for the longest time, I considered them like my pioneer ancestors. You know, people would get up at church and they'd talk about their pioneer ancestors crossing the plains and, and everything. And I never felt that like family connection, I guess, to church history that I think some other people did. And so I was like, oh, you know, we're just we're we're our own pioneers in my family. That's just kind of how I always thought. Well, family history, family search had this thing for Pioneer Day a couple years ago where they were like, did you have pioneers in your family? Do this little search and you can find out. So I went and I ran the search and oh my goodness, like all of a sudden, all these pioneers start popping up. All these people who served missions during the time of like Brigham Young and things like that start popping up. And then the early stages of the church and all of a sudden I'm connected to the early restoration history of the church in a way that I never felt before. Sure, it's like my 23rd cousin five times removed or whatever, but still there is someone who shares my DNA that was involved in the restoration of the church. And it was an incredibly powerful feeling to feel like I was a part of that. So family history does great things for us. It helps us to belong. It also helps us to make sense of the things that have come before us and what we want to pass on. There are many stories in my family about addiction as well. We have a long line of addicts and um, addictive behavior. So that's something that I have decided I'm going to watch for in myself, and I'm not going to pass that behavior along in my family. We can choose and take what we get from our ancestors and what we pass along, and we find that through story. Now, I want to give you another example of story kind of making something come to life for me. So back in the day, like I was like, this shows you how old I was, is that we had personal progress. Like, do you remember years ago when personal progress was a thing in young women's? Like, that was so long ago. We've had like three different programs, I think, since then. It was like the big white personal progress book. So there was a thing that we had to do. One of the activities you had to do was family history, find four generations of your family and write it down. And so I had a chart that was a lot like this and I found the names and dates and I wrote it down and honest and truly, it was kind of like, meh, I found it. I did it. Check it off. Sign it off. Okay. We're good. Like I didn't feel an emotional connection to the names that I wrote down on that paper. In fact, I can't even tell you where that paper is today. So that was something I did in personal progress. Well, really what our family tree should be looking like is something like this, where we have stories that bring color to our family tree. And we also have pictures and we have names. So just so you know, this right here, what you're seeing is a template from Microsoft Office that you can actually access if you go through and you click on it. And that's gonna take you to the template. This is not my family tree. This was just like the one that was kind of the example that they gave. But this is what we can turn our family trees into when we start putting those stories in there. So going back to my story about personal progress, I fill all of this out. Well, down here in this corner, Grandma Leo's mother, great grandma Rosa, was on this list. Okay, fine, just another name, whatever, like didn't phase me, didn't think anything of it until my mom recently started doing some digitizing of our family photos. And she finds this photo. 
which I'm like, look at this woman. She looks like a total sassy pants with her hand on her hip. And, you know, she looks like she's ready to take somebody on. The first time I saw this photo, I burst out laughing because I swear I have a teenage sister who literally like was in this pose with that face, like her entire teenage years. Um, yes, grandma, great grandma Rosa looks like she's about ready to take on the Nazi party, which is what great grandma Rosa did. So they lived in Austria in the area that's kind of like a little bit under Pilsen between like where current day Czech Republic, but between Germany and then Austria is kind of underneath it. And then they lived kind of just right there. So this during World War II, you know, the Nazis were coming, kind of taking over everything. And there was a vote where they could choose to decide to annex the part of the area that they lived into the Nazi, like Germany, or they could vote not to. Also, they could vote for the entire cabinet that Hitler had created of, you know, the political officers and things like that. There was incredible pressure in my grand grandmother and great grandmother's village at the time to vote for this because they wanted to be able to tell the Nazi party, hey, everybody in the village voted unanimously that we support you and we're all all in and this is, you know, we're, we're supporting you. Well, great grandma Rosa refused to vote for the Nazi party, refused to vote for the annexation. And this is the ballot that would have been used. So you can see it's a little bit biased because like right here, it says yes. And that, that circle is like two times the size of the no circle. Hmm. But that's the circle that Grandma Rosa checked. She was the only one in her village to vote against the Nazi party's annexation and also the political leaders. Now, why she did that, it's kind of lost to history. No one's really sure why she stuck that like so firmly. But I like to think that there was like good stuff behind it. Like she just didn't want to give into the Nazis. So that is my Grandma Rosa, great Grandma Rosa. When I hear stories like that, it makes me want to be like my grandmother and my great grandmother, strong women who stood for things, who were brave and took risks to fight for the things that they believed in. That turns my heart towards them. And that brings the scripture in Malachi to pass. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. When I hear the stories about my ancestors, I want to hear more. I want to hear more about how they lived and what they went through and how they got through it, because I think I can then impose it on my own life and it will teach me how to get through the things that I face. So ways to bring your family's story to life. On the next page, you are going to see a list of different ways that we can bring our family's story to life. And each one of those is going to be connected to a link. And when you click on the link, it's going to take you to a different URL that will guide you through that process. So for those of you who have been following along, this is the part where the links are really going to come into play. And if you haven't been following along, definitely check out the links in the URL um, to find the slideshow. OK, so the first way we can help bring our family story to life is by involving children and teens in family history. Now, I have to tell you, my current calling, I'm the primary presidency of my stake. So I feel like I would be terribly remiss if I did not tell you guys to involve children in your family history work. Specifically in the new children and youth program, there are spots within the intellectual part of it. And then also I think the service part that have to do with family history. So kids, you know, even though the projects and stuff are really open-ended, kids can still do family history and check off those two parts in their program. So involve your children, involve your grandchildren. It's a great way to build bridges and emotional connections with them. Another thing you can do 
is use family searches discovery activities. I love family searches discovery activities. Um, these you can find when you're in family search underneath the activities spot right here. And it's going to list all the different activities that you can choose from. I want to show you one, though, that made a big impact in our family. Um, it's compare a face. So my mother, a couple years ago, found a whole shoebox of pictures at Grandma Leo's house. And so she decided to start digitizing them. She went through. So now all these pictures are on Family Search. And the first time after she had done that, that I sat down in Family Search, we had a great time going through with compare a face. So there's my face. And do this comparison. And it searches your ancestors' photos, and it comes up with Joseph Praxel. And that is actually great-grandpa Joseph, who was married to great-grandma Rosa. So this is her husband. If he looks a little tired, it's because he was married to that feisty woman. But that's who I look like. You'll notice, though, only 29%. It's probably the glasses that are throwing it off. I don't know. Well, now, then I go back. Let's go back here and start over. You notice that not only is my picture in there, but my son's picture in there. So my son is actually my adopted son. He's not my genetic son. And I think sometimes that there's a disconnect between him and my biological family because of that. You know, where does he fit in? Who does he belong to? Like that, those kinds of questions. Well, we went through and we did this compare a face activity. And he looks like my grandfather that was married to Grandma Leo. And he actually looks like him 30%, which is more than my 29%. So I told him, I'm like, buddy, you look more like my family than I do. You were always meant to be part of my family. What a cool experience that is. And for my husband, who is also adopted, has some similar feelings about his family as well. Finding out where he comes from and those kinds of things is a very powerful experience for them. Now, there are other activities as well. I just like the compare face thing. But where am I from? All about me record my own story, picture my heritage, in-home activities, great stuff to do for family home evening. If you're looking for family home evening stuff, check it out. It's really good. Okay, so record your own story. You know, we're talking a lot about looking for our ancestors' story, but you also have a story to tell. And there are different ways to do it because there are so many different personalities in the world and so many different ways that we want to record our story. This article right here gives you 18 tips to get started. It's everything from, you know, just keeping it simple, finding ways to trigger memories, making timelines, different things like that. And everywhere you go into one of these suggestions here, it's got links where you can go and it will send you off to more help. So write your own story down. And as you're doing that, don't forget to use non-traditional methods. Um, you may not realize it, but you are telling your story every day through social media. So every year, one of the things I do to help kind of tell my story is I use this company. They're called My Social Book, but there's other companies out there that do the same thing where they will go and they will take either your Instagram or your Facebook timeline and they will make a hardcover book out of all your statuses and photos of that year. Now, how cool is that? Like, I would love to have a book like this of grandma, great grandma Rosa's social media, because I'm sure it was a hoot. It would, it would be a hoot. I say it was like it was real, but it's not. It would be a hoot to see what she would have posted at the time. You know, it also is a great incentive to make sure that your social media is squeaky clean because you know people down the line are going to be looking at it. So it's a great way to use a non-traditional mean to really tell your story.
Also, we talked about telling your story. Now, let's also record the stories of those who are still alive, our loved ones. One of the best ways to do that is through a company called StoryCorps. And if you are unfamiliar with StoryCorps, they actually have these booths that are set up in various cities around the country where you can sit down and they have a story moderator who kind of helps get the questions going and keep things on track. And they will literally record stories of anyone who goes in there. Well, now there's an emphasis on telling the stories of your relatives and getting your relatives to tell stories to you. And there's actually an app. You don't have to wait to go to a StoryCorps booth. You can do it on your phone. The StoryCorps app, you go and you download that. Now, one of the best things that I love about StoryCorps is you don't realize until you sit down and look at somebody in the face to interview them that it's actually kind of hard to interview people. So StoryCorps does a really good job in this app of giving you interview questions, questions that you can ask your grandparent, your aunt, whoever it is that you're recording the stories from and get them kind of talking. I saw a really sweet example of this in action where it was a grandfather and a granddaughter and they were sitting down and the grandmother had recently passed away and she was asking him questions like, when did you first meet grandma? And when did you first know that you fell in love with grandma? And she got their whole love story down using the StoryCorps app. How cool is that? Now she has an oral history of her grandparents' love story. Like that's powerful. And that's powerful things that she can pass on to her own children one day. So StoryCorps app. The next thing is to keep and digitize photographs. So we live in a world where we are surrounded by constant visual, um, I guess, people digitizing photographs all the time. Look at Instagram, you know, look at Facebook. We constantly live with digital photos all the time. You know, it wasn't always this way. And so I think sometimes when we look back at how do I take fit photos and make them digital, it seems like, Bleh. but there's actually ways to do it. Like I talked about, my mom had that shoebox of photos that she got from grandma Leo's house. And she was like, I don't even know how to sit down and to start doing this. This article from Family Search is going to give you some steps to go through when you do find that big giant like cache of photos and you're like, I don't even know where to start, right? The really cool thing I love about Family Search and Ancestry.com does this as well is as you're putting in your photos and your memorabilia of your family ancestors, other people are also doing the same thing. And so as you go through, there have been times where I've gone through and I'm like looking at my family tree and I find that someone else has uploaded the photo of that family member or that family member's grave, someone else who's also related to them. And it's so cool to see that, like that intersect. I have never been to Illinois, but now I know what that grave looks like because someone has posted a picture of it. That brings that person to life, that story to life. So cool. So help others do that for their own stories. Go and upload these photos so that others have access to them as well. All right, next thing we're gonna talk about is collecting memory triggers, photographs, clothing, different things like that, heirlooms that you can pass down to your family. So going back again to the example of Grandma Leo, um, apparently she was quite the snappy dresser because one of the things that we got in one of our trips out to Texas to go visit her was this beautiful green dress that she wore to some party with my grandfather and had these like long gloves that went with it all the way up to her arms. And um, it smelled like her perfume, you know, and just 
like hearing her talk about these parties, smelling the perfume on the dress. We tried the dress on. In fact, I think that dress became like, and this is awful, part of our like play clothes, like, you know, our dress up clothes. We wore that dress like constantly, which is what she wanted. She didn't want that dress to just sit in the closet forever and ever, but she wanted us to experience that. So we would put on that dress all the time when we were like playing like make believe and stuff like that in our childhood. And we pretended we were grandma Leo going to these fancy parties with our grandpa, you know, just like they did after world war II when they came back to the, the United States. So that was a really cool way for her to share that with us, that heirloom that kept that alive in our minds. You can find different things to do that with everything from like, I think someone uses the example of the spoon down here, a typewriter, Christmas ornaments, Anything that will trigger any sort of memory. Quilts are a great way to do that in the South. They're huge. People love passing down their quilts. Um, that will trigger those memories. When you're telling stories, especially when you're doing it with children, you want to be able to engage as many of the senses as you can. And if you notice in the story I told about my grandmother's green dress, I mentioned I could smell her perfume on it, that we could touch it. We could feel the chiffon and like kind of that textile thing, um, sensory experience. That's what made that story come to life was really that engaging the senses. So anything you can find that's going to engage more than just the sense of sight is going to be incredibly powerful for those who tell you tell the story to. Okay. Next thing. Can't write a story. Don't have time. Don't want to sit down. Don't have the attention span to sit down. Well, guess what? There's a really awesome website out there called Twile and Twile will help you put together a timeline of your family. So you go through, it helps you build your family tree, or you can import your family tree. And it also adds world history events to tell the full story. So I go in and I add the stuff from Grandma Leo's family, and all of a sudden it comes up with like, this is what was happening in World War II when this was going on. This is what was happening in this area of the world. And so I have that as well. You can add photos, people, notes, and maps, and you can create a timeline specifically of your family. So if you don't have time to write your entire story down, your entire family story down, this is a really great way to make history come alive for your kids. Did I do this for my child so that he would think history was more fun? Yes. Yes, I did. All right. Next thing. We've got visit the places your ancestors live. Well, okay. So where did your ancestors live? One of the best ways to find this and to find like your ethnic ancestors is to do one of the DNA tests. I know they're really expensive and I know that there's different ones that people recommend. Um, so it's, you know, completely optional. But I will tell you to my husband, again, who was adopted, the DNA test to find out his ancestry was hugely emotional for him and hugely important to him. Um, all of a sudden he had a heritage. He knew where he came from. And he knew where the bulk of his heritage came from. And he could identify with those people. Huge, huge deal. So I put this list on there because these are, they just say they're the best testing kits. There's other ones out there. But it just lists, you know, where you can get the testing kits from. I found them incredibly helpful. We did 23andMe, but you can choose whatever company you want. All right. Explore the culture, food, music, and games of your ancestors' homeland. This is another thing that you can find in Family Search. Where am I from? And if you put your family tree in and it brings up where you're from. Well, obviously, got a lot of family members from that area that I've been talking about a lot. Um, I had the chance a couple years ago to actually go visit the area where Grandma Leo and Great Grandma Rosa lived and where they grew up. 
And it was incredibly powerful to me. When I went there, I would tell the people that I met like, oh, my grandmother and great grandmother are from this area. And they started calling me their Czech granddaughter. They're like, oh, you're in like patting me on the cheeks. You're our Czech great granddaughter. Um, and just kind of enveloping me in their culture. And it was so neat to go and eat the things that they ate. And my grandmother told me a story one time of her having to walk across this bridge in Pilsen every day to get to high school. And I walked across the same bridge. How cool is that? It was an incredibly powerful experience. So I know not everybody is going to be able to have that experience where they actually go and touch the same things and walk in the same places, but we can still do that through the internet. You know, I started off with the story of Ralph Lumley. Ralph Lumley, I learned more about him by visiting the Lumley Castle website than anything else. There's all kinds of websites out there. Once you start finding the places where your ancestors are from, looking up, hey, my ancestors are from Libya. What do I need to know about Libya? Pulling it up and finding out what is the cultural references there? What kind of food do they eat there? What kind of music do they listen there? And have a night where you and your family gather and you celebrate that. Um, it's a great way to kind of find yourself and find your heritage and celebrate your heritage. Do indexing work for geographical areas where your family lived. Okay, I didn't know about indexing until like, I would say probably in the last five years, um, but it's really easy. And it's something that I think it's really easy for youth to get involved in. Our young men and young women and our, even our primary kids can do it, some of the easier projects. Um, and I decided to do this one time you know, my family, my grandmother and my grandfather, especially that was married to Grandma Leo. Um, he is from Texas and his whole family's from Texas. So I sat down one time to do indexing for an area in Texas where they were from. And it was World War II draft cards. And so I'm going through and I'm typing up the draft cards. And it was so fascinating, y'all. Like there was stuff about people who had been killed in action and people who got this disease. And so they were dismissed from the military. And this person deserted and ran away. And I mean, just like the stories that came alive just through indexing were amazing to me. And so then I go back and I look at my grandfather's military service at that same time. And I compare that to what I saw in the draft cards. And that makes it come alive more as well. Indexing is a great way to bless the lives of others. When you just have a few moments, you don't have a lot of time to sit down and like trace family tree after family tree, just five minutes and index something real quick. And you are blessing the lives of those who are coming along to find their stories. Okay, next one. Last but not least, not least at all, take your family names to the temple. And I love family search and the way that they have this set up where you can send names to the temple and you can reserve names. Um, that's the way that I was able to do it when I took my first name to the temple. And it was such an easy process, but it was such a meaningful process. And it was such a emotionally connected process. So I recommend that you do this. This is actually takes you to an article from, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about the need for family names in the temple and how to use family searches ordinance ready feature, which if you haven't done that, it is amazing. Okay. So I've told you all these things about stories and family stories and all this stuff, but why, why at the end of the day, is this important? Why does it matter that we're connected to our ancestors? Well, because the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. So I turn around and I see a name and a date and it just looks like ink on a paper to me. To my heavenly father, he knows that person. He knows their soul and he knows what I need to learn from them. 
He knows what I take from their bravery, their personalities, what's in my DNA that's the same as theirs, the way that I look like them. And he makes it so that they are part of my life. That's why we need to go remember people is because the worth of their souls is great in the sight of God. So how does family history impact your story? We talked a little bit about this, but just to remind you, it turns our mind to our ancestors. It connects them us to them emotionally, brings those names and dates to life, passes blessings down, creates bonds between family members, and motivates us to memorialize our ancestors in thought and in action. Now, don't just take my word for it. I got some people here who are going to um, you know, vouch for this. So family history turns our minds to our ancestors. David A. Bednar says, as you respond in faith to this invitation, your heart shall turn to the fathers. I wanted to make sure you saw that because we quote that Malachi verse as the heart will turn to the fathers. And it's like fathers plural. Whereas David A. Bednar's quote says, your heart shall turn to the father. Possessive, the father's. So doing family history work turns our hearts to our heavenly father. That's beautiful to me. We get the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be implanted in our hearts. Your patriarchal blessing with its declaration of lineage will link you to these fathers and be more meaningful to you as you do family history work. Your love and gratitude for your ancestors will increase. Your testimony of and conversion to the Savior will become deep and abiding. So next, let's look. Family history connects you to your ancestors emotionally. Um, I think you can probably tell there's lots of emotion here as I'm talking about my ancestors, but Quentin L. Cook talks about this too. He says, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I leave my blessing upon you with a promise that if you look beyond the bonds of time and mortality and help those that cannot help themselves, you will be blessed with more closeness and joy in your family and with the divine protections afforded those who are faithful in this service. So here's the thing. Family history brings all kinds of blessings. Um, you know, when you are doing family history, and especially when you're doing proxy ordinances for those who have passed on, you are giving them something that they can't give themselves. How grateful do you think they are? Do you think that possibly they become involved in your life in ways that you can't even imagine. Um, when my husband chose to leave the church, one of the first things I started doing was doing family history work and proxy ordinances for his family members. I felt like by doing that, I was literally building up an army on the other side of the veil to support him and bring him back to the church. The army and I are still working on it. Okay. But I literally feel those blessings in our life that they help heal wounds and that they help bring us together as a family. Family history brings names and dates to life. Remember that the names are real people to whom you owe your existence in this world and whom you will meet again in the spirit world. Their hearts are bound to you. Their hope is in your hands. You will have more than your own strength as you choose to labor to find them. That's Henry B. Eyring. I love that. You will have more than your own strength and that these are real people that you are choosing to save. Family history passes blessings down to our future generations. Dale G. Renlin says, you'll find not only protection from the temptation and ills of this world, 
but you'll also find personal power, power to change, power to repent, power to learn, power to be sanctified, and power to turn the hearts of your family together and heal that which needs healing. If you are experiencing any sort of family turmoil or any sort of family split or, you know, you feel any sort of like scars in your family that need to be healed, family history can help you bring that together. Family history can create bonds between our family members. Our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson said, consider the spiritual connections that are formed when a young woman helps her grandmother enter family information into a computer. When our hearts turn to our ancestors, something changes inside of us. We feel part of something greater than ourselves because we are part of something greater than ourselves. The work of salvation, the human family is greater than just ourselves and we are part of it. And doing family history work reminds us of our part in it. Family history can motivate us to memorialize our ancestors in thought and in action. And this is a long quote. So I'm just going to read the end there where it says, in doing so, that basically means finding their names and taking it to the temple. In doing so, we are connected to them. And the Lord, through his spirit, confirms to us, our soul, the eternal importance of what we are doing because it is of internal importance. So you know how there's like those commercials for the various like pharma pharmaceutical drugs and it's like side effects may include nausea and digestion, you know, and it goes on all those side effects. Well, Dale G. Renlund had a really good talk about family history work. And if you go and you actually click on this little link right here, it'll take you to that. But in his talk, he said, these are some of like the different things that will happen when you start doing family history work. So I called it side effects. So other side effects include from family history work, Increased understanding of the Savior and his atoning sacrifice. Increased influence of the Holy Ghost to feel strength and direction for our own lives. Increased faith so that conversion to our Savior becomes deep and abiding. Increased ability and motivation to learn and repent because of an understanding of who we are, where we come from, and a clearer vision of where we are going. Increasing, refining, sanctifying and moderating influences in our hearts. Increased joy through an increased ability to feel the love of the Lord. Increased family blessings, no matter our current, past, or future family situation, or how imperfect our family tree may be. Okay, I wanna pause there on that one. For those of you who may be single and who want to be married, or maybe, you know, fertility is an issue for you. I've been through that. that. So, Family history can help you feel complete in ways that you feel incomplete on your own. Um, I was single for a lot longer than I wanted to be. And I've also, you know, of course, experienced infertility as well. And doing family history work helped me heal those parts of my heart and my soul that I felt were a little bit raw because of those experiences. So keep that in mind. Other side effects include... Increased love and appreciation for ancestors and living relatives so we no longer feel alone. Increased power to discern that which needs healing and thus, with the Lord's help, to serve others. Increased protection from temptations and the intensifying influence of the adversary, which if we don't need that in our lives today, I don't know when we would need that. I mean, that the adversary is so strong. We need that power every day. Increased assistance to mend troubled, broken, or anxious hearts and make the wounded whole. What a list of blessings. 
like, I guess the question isn't whether or not you want to do family history, but why would you not want to? Like, those blessings are so intense and so amazing. Um, like, I hope, I hope you feel really motivated to do so. Boyd K. Packer has said, those who give themselves with all their might and mind to family history work receive help from the other side. And whoever seeks to help those on the other side receives help in return in all the affairs of their lives. That is a huge promise. So what's your story? What's your family history story? What is your family history story going to be? What stories are you going to find in your family history? I hope today that I have inspired you to at least think about finding more in your family history, like fleshing out the family stories that you currently have, recording the ones that you know you want to pass down to others. Please take a moment and think about your family story. Thank you so much for listening to me today. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, welcome to your Family History Discovery Day. If you have any questions, you can reach me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Thank you.